Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Family Business Today podcast, where every family business has a story to tell and a step to take to not only thrive, but working together, create a lasting family legacy. I'm your host, Greg Lewis. Our guest today is Dave Specht. Dave currently serves as the director of the Global Family Business Institute at the Drucker School of Management. He is an ambassador for the family-owned business, and he gives keynote speeches and develops programs on topics related to family business. He is the author of The Family Business Whisperer and has a consulting firm called Advising Generations. Prior to his role as director, he developed the Family Business Management Program at the University of Nebraska and served as National Development Manager for the Family Dynamics Program at Wells Fargo Private Bank. Most importantly, he is a husband and father to six children. Well, hello, Dave. Thank you for joining me for this edition of Family Business Today. I've really been looking forward to hearing more about your experience with multi-generational family businesses. Thanks for having me on the show, Greg. Let's just jump right in. You're currently the director of the Global Family Business Institute at the Drucker School of Management, but your passion for family businesses really didn't start there. Can you tell us how you got to be involved in counseling and advocating for family businesses? Sure, I'd love to. The story goes way back to when I was in graduate school, Greg. I was uh, finishing a master's in finance and tax planning at San Diego State, uh, just kind of slugging my way through. And um, there were two families that I was close to that were having um, very different experiences in their family business. I did not grow up in a family business, Greg, mm -hmm. but I grew up around a couple of families that had businesses. One of them was a third generation construction company. And they really modeled the type of family that I wanted to have. And I was just a young kid. And this was a guy from my church. And, and I just really respected him and his family. I felt like the family business was the reason for the great work ethic of the kids, the relationship between the, the generations. And so they had a very successful experience in transitioning their, their construction company from one generation to the next. Uh, really innovative um, and developed an ownership mentality in their kids that I just, I saw and I really admired. Now, at the same time, Greg, I was watching another family in the specialty auto business that uh, was a great family, uh, had a tragedy and grandpa passed away. His two kids were in the business. Uh, his son was in business development and, uh, and did a lot of the work uh, in the shop. And then his daughter was the front receptionist and uh, did a lot of kind of the relationship greeting and first, you know, kind of director of first impressions type of a role. And he, grandpa was pretty secretive with what he wanted to have happen. Maybe he just thought that he would never die, but he had a massive heart attack and passed away suddenly. And it was the attorney that brought the family together to share what his wishes were. He ended up giving half of the business to his wife, which was not a surprise but then he gave the other half of the business to his daughter and didn't leave anything to his son. And there were no instructions, Greg, as to why he did that or what the expectation was for the future. So you can imagine, um, you know, this son, he probably started telling himself stories around, well, dad doesn't trust me. Dad doesn't love me. And it could have been that he just assumed that his wife would give her portion of the business to the son when she passed. But anyways, long story short, this, uh, you know, two weeks after grandpa passed away, uh, son comes in and drops his keys on, on mom's desk and says, you know, I'm leaving, I quit. 
and moved two blocks to the west, opened a competing shop and took mm. most of the clients with him. And so it really destroyed that family and also wreaked havoc on a business. And when I saw those two stories and how varied they were, I thought, wow, if I could, if I could do work in this industry and keep families from uh, you know, destroying their family relationships and also perpetuate these businesses, I'd like to do that. And so that was kind of the beginning of the journey for me, Greg. Oh, well, thank you. And, and you know, uh, I was thinking about my own family's uh, uh, business and growing up uh, in it uh, 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 too, too many times, especially with founders, we, we think they think of uh, transition planning as, as they're never going to die. Uh, but uh, as uh, family business advisors, uh, you can agree with me that the only thing that we can guarantee a family business and the, the owner is that we, is that 100% of us will transition whether we want to or not. So why not go ahead and plan for it? Yeah, I believe I believe language there is really important. I think whenever we're working with business owners and they use language like if if I were to pass away, um, we need to we need to jump in and and correct because we all we all will transition from right. life that way, too. And so I think dealing with the realities of the situation is is part of it. And part of that's just the language we use and the language we let clients use with us. Well, you, you've, you've talked about it just a little bit, Dave, but I you. You, um, you talk about preserve families and per perpetuate business. Uh, can you can you walk us through a little bit more uh, deeper about what you mean by that? Yeah, what I mean is that um, first of all, I've, I'm married. I have six kids, and so my my family relationship is the most valuable thing that I have, Greg. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the work that I do with families. You know, I just go in with the assumption that their family relationship is also the most important for them. And key to any family relationship is uh, investing time and learning together, growing together, um, having patterns of communication that work for the family. Uh, I think it's also important that there's expectations. Even when your kids are little, whether it's an expectation to work or an expectation will, with, you know, how you, how you speak to your uh, elders or, you know, how you greet people, it's, it's crucial that there are expectations. And so I bring that into the work um, and I help families to interrupt patterns of communication that are no longer working for them and help them put processes in place that will um, allow for some of those, those candid and difficult conversations, but in a place that is, that is safe and that the family knows that you know, it's, it's crucial that those types of conversations happen. So a lot of it is going in and figuring out what are the communication patterns of the family? Do they have structures and strategies for um, creating expectations for the kids, especially as they grow up? You know, what expectations do they have uh, for inheritance? What expectations are there for, um, you know, their relationship with money? And there's, there's just so many opportunities to be proactive in preparing the rising generation, whether they enter the business or whether we're just trying to raise them as independent adult, young adults. So those are those are a few things I think about quite a bit. Hmm. Well, um, I think you would agree that there's uh, different rules that exist for family businesses. How are family businesses not like non-family businesses? Well, there's a number of ways they differ. One is family businesses are typically invested for very long, long periods of time. And we like to call that patient capital. Now, with that patient capital, 
um, as you get out into the second and third generations and as, as you have multiple shareholders, you know, that, that capital still might be patient, but there is a need to communicate and to create expectations for those shareholders, whether it's around how the company's doing, um, how cash flow and dividends work, et cetera. Um, another thing that is different with family businesses is um, employment. So with a non-family company, uh, no one would ever consider joining that business without a job description and without a conversation around how they would be paid. There are very, there are a lot of family businesses, Greg, where I see rising gen uh, members joining the family business. Maybe they're leaving college or graduate school and they've decided to join the family business. And I'll ask them a question, you know, so what's your role going to be? And uh, this, this happens a lot in agriculture, I'll tell you, Greg. Oh, yes. Well, I'm going to go back and work on the, work on the farm, or I'm going to go back and work, work on the ranch. So, well, that's great. What, you know, what responsibilities do you have? What accountability is there for your job? And it's just unspoken. And then I'll ask about compensation, you know, how, how will you be compensated in this role? Well, my, my dad said, come on back and we'll just, we'll figure it out. And so there's some, there's some informality that oftentimes uh, is present in family businesses that is just not, um, not acceptable in a non-family company. And so there's, there's some things that need to happen where the, the family business needs to be professionalized over the generations. The first generation might get away with the lack of formality, but as you get into the second and third generation, you know, those things need to, need to really change. Mm -hmm. Well, so there are so many changes. I was, as I was listening to you there, I was just thinking of, of my clients that I work with, uh, that whole idea of job descriptions and how, how we be paid. A lot of times it maybe is something like, yes, well, I just pay all of uh, my children the same, uh, equal rather than fairly uh, as, they, they, as they do that. And that really helps. Well, what are some of the most common roadblocks to a family business surviving to the next generation? I know only 30% success transition to the second generation and it, even less as you go to the third and beyond. Well, I would say that one of the biggest challenges is if there's not a shared dream. So if there's not a shared dream or shared passion for an industry, the likelihood of that, of that business continuing is, is severely diminished. Um, you know, there's, there, there needs to be an ownership mentality developed in the rising generation. And so oftentimes the, the big challenge, Greg, is that as parents and as business owners, you'll, you're fulfilling simultaneous roles. And that role confusion around, okay, when I make this choice, am I acting as a father or as a mother, or am I acting as the president and CEO of this company? So that, that type of role confusion uh, is oftentimes problematic and keeps, keeps those uh, businesses from being perpetuated. The other thing is um, just innovation. I think family businesses uh, oftentimes lean on what made them successful in the past. And oftentimes there are there is a lack of desire to seek out and embrace change. One of Peter Drucker's principles that I really love is called systematic abandonment. And I think with family businesses, we need to be better about this. And what, what he taught with systematic abandonment is, um, you know, we need to be actively looking for things 
to stop doing. Now, in any entrepreneurial venture, as you know, Greg, you're an entrepreneur, we like to add things. We get ideas and we, we start new things. We add, we add, we add. But we are not very good at systematically leaving things behind, especially if an activity or a product has served us in the past or has been successful in the past. So, you know, I think that is something that needs to be added to ev every strategic process with family-owned businesses is, is an active role in looking at what do we need to abandon? What do we need to stop doing? Because that only opens up our bandwidth to be able to take on new projects or to only work on the things that are most profitable or, or most aligned with the purpose and the vision of the company. Very good, very good. Well, let's let's talk about happiness and success. I mean, you know, we like to think that everybody is happy uh, uh, by working together in a family business, and we know uh, as advisors that's not always the case. Uh, but much of what uh, uh, we learn about happiness or success, or even wealth, comes from our parents. Uh, can you talk about how family business owners can instill healthy versions? Of these ideas in the next generation? It's a great question. You know, I think success really needs to be defined and very intentionally because the rising generation, especially if they're following, uh, you know, a first generation that was very successful, whether it was in a creation of a product or a company, there's often the desire to compare ourselves to our parents. And so that's the measuring stick. And whether it's revenue or whatever, you know, those kids will come up with their own measures of success unless we help them to define what success really means. So success could mean, you know, from a relationship perspective, uh, success could mean, you know, we want to remain independent. Success could mean a certain level of profitability. Mm -hmm. But I think the most important thing, Greg, is, is to realize that each individual gets to define what success is for them in their life. And then we need to apply those desires to the family company. And so I think there needs to be more time spent on defining success because as we define it, um, then, we can, then we can actively work towards it. But if it's never defined, if it's, if it's something that is just out there with others creating expectations for what success is for us, we're going to end up frustrated and ultimately it's going to be challenging for the business and often challenging for our relationships between the generations. Oh, that's great. Each individual gets to define what success is for them uh, and for uh, the business. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we can stop right there and it would be uh, well worth uh, our time together. Well, <laughs> let's, let's talk about, you mentioned grandpa uh, saying he's never going to die and uh, no plans in place and he dies and, and uh, uh, the, half the business goes to his wife and then his uh, son leaves in two weeks. What can family business owners do right now today to prepare their successors to take over the family business? Well, there's a couple of things. One is is to actually go through a simulation of some of these events. So let's assume, let's make the assumption uh, that that grandpa doesn't show up on Monday. Um, go actually go through a simulation of him being gone for two weeks 
with no interaction with uh, the business or the kids, that will quickly tell the business what decisions are wrapped up in one person. Um, and in terms of management contingency plans, I really think you need to run some simulations to, to actually feel what it's gonna feel like. I think it's also crucial that the rising generation get involved in understanding the, the finances of the business. And not only understanding the finances of the business, but, but begin to participate in risk-taking with the parents. Again, back to simultaneous roles for a second, Greg. You know, as a parent, you know, we're, we teach our kids maybe how to ride a bike and we put a helmet on, we put maybe knee pads and elbow pads and we, we send them off, you know, but we're running alongside because we don't want them to fall and hurt themselves. But ultimately they can only learn how to ride a bike when we let go and let them ride. I, you know, too often, you know, there's tragedy that strikes and it's in that moment that the rising generation says, look, you need to ride a bike without training wheels. You need to figure out how to finance the business. You need to develop the relationship with the banker. All of those things need to take place early. And there's a few reasons. One is because the rising generation needs to feel what it feels like to be an owner. They need to feel uh, when something is at risk. They need to understand what break-even looks like. Um, they need to know how to have those conversations with the lender when things are difficult. And so I think those are a couple ways. One is, is actually doing some simulations, whether that's with a management transition, could be a, could be a family member, could be a non-family member, maybe it's a CFO, assume they leave, um, you know, what, what questions would the family be left with and what holes might there be? And then actively look to, to cross-train and to close those gaps, um, you know, with those management contingency plans. The other one, Greg, I think is, that's key is ownership contingency plans. So, you know, I'm, su I'm surprised how few, when you ask them, you know, if any of the owners were to pass away, how would assets, how would assets flow? Seems like a pretty straight up answer, uh, or seems like a pretty straight question, but there are, there are many that, that do not have a clear, quick answer on how assets flow. And I think, I think, the, I think that's a problem. Oh, I definitely, uh, I know we, one of the things that we, we do is, is make sure that uh, the next generation has seen a financial uh, report or statement because uh, many times they have it and some of them have, are really uh, young adults who have worked in the business for, for decades and have never seen financial statements. So it's very important. Well, one of the things that uh, we talk about, Dave, is the three three most important things that uh, uh, that needs to go on in a family business to, for it to be successful is the first one's communications, the second one is communications, and the third one is communications. <laughs> but uh, t um, can you talk a little bit about the role of the of family dynamics and the successful transition of the business, and what is the role of communications? Yeah, communication is everything, Greg. I mean, whether it's a, I was speaking a couple of weeks ago at a university, uh, Brigham Young University, doing a guest lecture, and um, you know, the there were kids in there that were choosing to go back to their family business, and the communication between parents and those kids around expectations was just everything. And communications when when there's a transition, when there is um, you know major decisions. 
I like to involve the rising generation as early as we can, whether it's in the strategic planning process or in the succession planning process. Not that, not that every idea that they have is going to be followed, but when when they're given a voice, uh, they can feel like you know they have some influence and and some input. And ultimately, you know, if we're talking about a succession plan with regards to communication, there's there's a there's a fine line between something being done for them and something being done to them. And uh, really communication is is the key. And I'll also say, you know, advisors, I think as a whole um, need to do a better job with engaging uh, non-participating spouses. I think this is a huge uh, issue in family business succession. I think it's a huge issue in wealth management because oftentimes the non-participating spouse um, is the, the keeper of the stories. And oftentimes they are the, the biggest influence on how the rising generation feels about the family business. And so, you know, I think engaging their voice, making sure that they're, um, they have a seat at the table, that they are involved in communicating around uh, the succession plan, that they understand what it is and uh, that, their, that their voice is a part of, of you know, everything that gets built there. So those are, those are a few things. Wow. Well, I think the thing that I take away from that is uh, in the role, role of communications is, is, is the uh, uh, now gen needs to communicate, uh, but there needs to be some reverse communications from the next gen and the now gen needs to, to listen to them because they certainly can, can uh, bring some great ideas uh, to the table. And so it becomes a learning process uh, for all generations of the family business and they all feel, feel involved. Well, and one of the things I bring up, Greg, when I'm with university students in particular, when they're thinking about going back to their family business, is I'll ask them the question about, um, you know, value, about value, okay? And so the question is, help me understand why the family business is more valuable for you being there than not. And ultimately, if, if they can express that, and they can find ways to add unique value or, or to go get skills and then bring those skills back to the family business, then they have greater confidence. And ultimately, everyone, that's everyone's job is to figure out why, why is this business more valuable because I'm here mm -hmm. uh, than not. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what makes uh, family businesses, uh, makes you more confident in family businesses that will make it to the next generation? Well, my, my confidence goes up when the, the founding generation is building a team around the rising generation. Uh, especially when you look at contingency planning, um, you never know when something could happen, whether a disability or, or death or whatever. But the stronger the team is, the leadership team, uh, the better opportunity that the rising generation will have to have more runway and to not have to be thrust into the fire, you know, immediately. So as we're looking at ownership transitions, you know, I'm not only thinking about how do you transition the shares from one generation to the next, I'm looking at the important people that will, that will allow the rising generation to have the time necessary to acclimate to their leadership role, I think is, is really huge. Um, so that's, that's one part is, you know, what does the team around them look like? And, 
and what are the relationships or and what are we actively doing to uh, transition those relationships of trust that maybe are existent with the the current generation, the now generation that's running the business, but how do you transition those relationships of key employees, of advisors to the rising generation? And again, it will not happen uh, without a great deal of thought and, and planning and work, but the rising generation also needs to know that part of their job is to win the trust of the non-family employees and also to gain the trust of the advisors and the banker, um, all those people. So I think there needs to be more conversation around relationship transitions as well. Good, good. So it's the key, uh, most important thing is good communication. So, well, I, I don't want to get beyond, uh, uh, you've, you've written a book and uh, um, we raised our three daughters on a horse farm. And uh, mm -hmm. of course the horse whisperer uh, was certainly something that uh, uh, our children and we were all very engaged in and everything else. But you wrote a, a book called The Family Business Whisperer. Can you tell us a little bit about your motivation to write the book and what it's, what it's about? Sure. Well, I think most, most people that end up writing a book are frustrated because their the message and their work can't expand beyond their consulting. And that, that was the case for me, Greg. I, I had some great relationships. I was working with a, a few families doing deep work, but I wondered you know, about the many family businesses around the world that don't hire a consultant or don't have access to someone and so I wanted to put some principles into a book that would allow a family to get started. And, you know, so there's, there's principles uh, in each chapter. There's a question that I call an inspired question, um, could be called a courageous conversation. At the end of each chapter, there's a place for reflection. And ultimately what the book is about is encouraging families to get started. And too often I'm finding families begin the succession planning process with the CPA or the attorney that are leading with tax advice um, or legal advice around the perpetuation of that business. And the purpose of the book is to really get to some of the questions uh, that the family should be addressing before they go and put legal documents in place or before they go and make um, you know, irrevocable gifts or, or put, you know, tax strategies in place for the family. So again, it's, it's to try to give them a head start to be able to think through some of the tough questions that they need to answer so that the attorney and the CPA and the other advisors that are surrounding them serve more as translators of what their desires are rather than them developing a plan without, uh, you know, the family having their story kind of told. Hmm. It's yes, it's all about the, the story and uh, of, of the past, but also plans for the future. Well, well, thank you so much uh, for for sharing that and being being with us. There's uh, boy, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> but Absolutely. Uh, what are some closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I, I think that First of all, we need to celebrate family businesses. Family businesses play such an important role in our communities. And so 
if you are from a family business, thank you for doing what you do. Family businesses are often, uh, Greg, the, the charitable engine in a community. And so they just play such, a, such an important role in each of our local and, and national economies. And so I just want to celebrate family businesses. I'd like to, you know, see more families uh, take an intentional approach to the rising generation being prepared. And ultimately at the Drucker School, that's, that's really what we're working towards in developing programs um, to preserve these families' relationships with each other and also to perpetuate their businesses. You know, I, I, I think there's so much good that can be done in the world through family businesses. When I think about influence, I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to get into this business was because the opportunity to influence uh, when you work with a family business is so widespread. So it may be that a company has, the, you know, hundreds or even thousands of employees if they're a really large family business. And you think about one family's choices with what they're going to do with the business, how they're going to strategize, how they're going to treat ownership. It affects those hundreds or thousands of families in that community. And so, you know, I'm just interested in, in influence, you know, and, and really making an impact. And I've, I've felt for a long time that family business is, is one of the best ways to do that. And so I would just encourage families to ask the hard questions, to create space for these conversations and communication that need to happen, Greg, and um, ultimately find advisors that are willing to ask you the hard questions, willing to challenge you. Uh, in your assumptions, because that is that is truly what you need. Well, Dave, th thank you for being my guest on Family Business Today. Uh, just uh, please accept our best wishes for continued success for you as you uh, service uh, uh, family businesses and for your family. And uh, 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 just thanks again for being our guest. You can find Dave Speck's book, The Family Business Whisperer, at Amazon.com. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for the Family Business Today podcast. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business located in Nashville, Tennessee, our passion is to help families create a positive environment where the family thrives, the business performs, and working together create a lasting family legacy. Whether you're a business owner looking to grow your family business or you are wanting to prepare to someday sell or transition the business to the next generation, check out our free resources on our website at www.tncfb.com. If you want to talk to a family business advisor about your specific family business needs, schedule a 30-minute no-cost call by sending us an email to info at tncfb.com. If you want to talk, we will listen. So until next time, thanks for joining us.